You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. <laughs> you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. So he started pounding on my chest, and all of a sudden, there was a flash of light. I was back inside my body. I wasn't on the river anymore, obviously. I was lying on the dining room table of the lodge. Damn, man, I didn't know I had it. I, I swear it was from other people. And somebody just, a friend of mine just gave me a book that I read last week about that very thing um, and not getting in your own way. Really, when I went through the Marine Corps, you know, I did two tours overseas. Um, you know, when you get out, you know, you train all five years, learn how to get ready to do your mission, but you only get like one week to really transition out of the Marine Corps. Off the I don't. Side. I don't believe in prep. Dry fly or wet fly? Wet fly. Favorite boat right now? Spratly. Favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? Mmm. Ooh, that's tough. On. Well, it's usually. Uh... Ooh, you got me there. Next. <laughs> Come on, you got more than that. What does it do for me? Yeah, you must. There's a reason it's, that it's, you chase all it's, these. It's kind of hard because I do everything so I can fly fish. Like I do this job so that I can fly fish. I, uh, I think, I think it, 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 it's more the, um, it's more of a way of life than that, than for me. Than I uh, most of the stuff that I do towards the end is to go fishing. And it takes very singular moments to shut down those tabs so that you can focus and be present and be aware of just this moment, not what just happened, not yesterday, not in your childhood, not tomorrow, not later in life. It's just this moment right here. It's this drift. It's this cast. It's this take. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. I want to encourage people when they pick up fly fishing to like, or just when they're on the stream in general, to just, just not only respect like the the other people on the stream, but respect the stream itself. You know, like it's just there's a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. But you want to get into like the deeper aspect of it. That's you know, that's that's part of it. <laughs> well, that's cool. All right, so so you got a window here, man? You got nothing? Like, can we, you're good to go? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, I'm, just so you know, I'm recording. You actually said a couple of quotes there that were really sweet. I might have to use, but. Um, hey, I, I won't, <laughs> go for it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I won't use anything that you, you know, I want the truth. <laughs> you're killing, you're killing me, man. I, I love it. I <laughs> well, love that's it. that's just the truth. 
<laughs> you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And then I always I also put one in there from Tony Bennett. He said, you know, I love what I I, I love what I've been doing all these years, and I'm get and I'm still getting away with it. So in the middle of a Canadian winter, there's really nothing else to do rather than visit a fly shop. Right? Right. <laughs> what are you looking for today, Glenn? What are you looking for in the shop? A friend. Friends. Friends? You're not going to find any friends there. What are you looking for? Uh, no friends. Come on. I know you're looking for time materials. Time materials, yes. Lots of time materials. Steven, what are you looking for? <laughs> friend for Glenn. <laughs> More friends for Glenn. I don't have any friends. My wife doesn't even like me. Uh, I can. A, a I can. Today. A reel? I'm gonna be looking for a reel today. A reel. What kind of reel are you looking for, Stevie? Uh, I think I'm gonna go with another fluger. A fluger? You're gonna fluger it? <laughs> fluger. Oh, uh, what? A... Glenn, are you looking for some hooks today, or some? I need a lot of hooks. I need uh, a lot of hooks. I need a lot of uh, cranny stuff. That's what I'm low on. I'm tying a lot of crannies and just uh, gotta get my supplies up. Get that that money, that Christmas money, burning a hole in your pocket, right? didn't get any Christmas money, remember? I got coal. <laughs> Some of General's driving techniques, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I don't want to start a fight here, guys. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, I was just going to say the other time when Ben was barking orders at me is when we were crossing for the first time between uh, Chile and Argentina, and we went into the... It's just basically a shack in the middle of nowhere, and they have like a wood fire going, and everyone's kind of sitting around, and you're obviously pretty nervous because my Spanish, I think all of our Spanish is like, you know, elementary level at best. So it's a little intimidating. Um, you had to cross through the border and uh, they were drinking mate and I'd never seen mate. I don't really know anything about it. And I have uh, snow white uh, blonde hair. So usually I kind of stick out in these situations. They're not kind of used to seeing it. And the guy offered me mate and Ben was like, you got to drink it. You got to drink the whole thing. You can't stop. And it's a little metal straw, and it was so hot. My, my my whole mouth was like the whole trip was just burnt to the crisp. But I was kind of worried about uh, you know insulting somebody. So that was that was something that was unusual as well. What? Whoa! What about blue, blue or red? Blue. Blue. Red. Blue. 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 One hundred percent. Blue. I'm not an angry 100. red person like Bob. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm not angry at all. We don't no, want to name names here. Angry in like the next, hey. next podcast is titled Bob Has Issues. <laughs> Just for the record, oh, you're wearing on, blue. Man. You're wearing blue. You realize that. So I didn't yes. know that. He actually. said blue. Okay, so I'm say saying blue. blue, so blue wins five and to one. Really I have a blue shirt on myself. For the record, I never wear red. It's um, I appreciate you bringing that up because it is, you know, when you, when you start fishing, you start realizing things. You start realizing trout prefer this or pike prefer that or carp prefer this. You start learning the ways of the fish you pursue. And then as an angler, you make the adjustments and adapt to those ways. And trout are doing the same adaptation the whole time. So that's why it's that cat and mouse game. But if you really think about it, whether it be the fish comes to you from 80 feet away, 60 feet away, whatever it is. I mean, you can make the longest cast possible. And even that long cast, so many times that fish eats in close. Or so many times you show up to the river and the largest fish you've seen all day is, I'm not kidding you, a foot off the bank, if not less. <laughs> or you need to make a cast quickly from five feet in front of you to 20 or 30 feet away. It's all of this close range adjustments that we make as anglers that makes us better. And that's why, 
when we came out with the video mastering the short game with Headwaters Media, it sounds like a sales pitch, but the reason I designed and we came up with that three-year project was I so much believe in that concept that I just wanted to share with the public because I would not be able to do what I do for a living if I could not pursue those fish that are within 20 feet. It just simply would not happen. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it. They took me to the river, showed me how to trout fish. There's a local tailwater um, in, uh, called the Elk River near uh, Suwannee, Tennessee. Um, tiny little fish, uh, and I just remember how hard it was for me. I think I went maybe like seven, eight times before catching anything, and there was something about that challenge and looking up to these guys on the fire department that really made me want to be like them like those were the cool kids in my mind and from there it just became an addiction and I think I was addicted to being out in the wild and feeling the water going through my going over my waders and you know being able to feel the accomplishment of holding up a fish and being able to trick that fish into taking the fly I think all that kind of put together really uh, made me addicted to that sport um, early on my freshman year those fish will will hit those big oh yeah stocky looking pat those big patterns that the stockies hit and you can actually see it when when the guys when you get the get the uk guys you know the the team england and team ireland come over and they're they're masters of the stocky fish because all oh, their lakes are all stocked like that right all oh, their reservoirs exactly and stuff, yeah yeah so they come over and they and they're like the i remember seeing this one guys he was uh part of the british army and he opened up his box and i've never seen so many colors in my life like i'm not even talking blobs i'm talking colors of every type of blob every type of boob you can imagine wow and uh and those guys they when they fish those those stocky lakes they capitalize so it's like a full back then i had i pull the, the pheasant tail over the top of it and I like doing that because it creates a real natural look in the sense that it, it has the gills and the tail, but it also has that counter shadowing where the underbelly is lighter than the top. Yeah, yeah. Right? I know exactly. And, you know, and here's the thing with us fly tires. Like, we, we love to look at our flies from above the vise or, or just, you know, kind of looking at it like this on a side profile, which is fine. But more often than not, we're looking down at it and we dress our flies from the top. Yeah. And that's not what the fish is seeing, right? Mm -hmm. They're seeing it from underneath or, or, or at least sideways or, or like kind of head on with it or underneath it, right? Yeah, that's And that's a good where point. you really got to, yeah, and that's where you... You know, this is something that I teach uh, a lot of our students when I'm doing workshops, but I, I always say that the, the adaptive angler wins. Uh, you know, the adaptive angler and the observant angler. So I think that people that are the most willing to... Uh, the, the most willing to adapt to whatever the given circumstance is and they don't get too hung up on things that have worked for them in the past. I think that that's probably the best lesson I've learned is just to not. You know, I get the, the good fortune to speak on the, there's a, a show that tours through the States called the fly fishing show. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate enough to be the sort of 
weird little late guy on the on the show circuit, right? So um, I was, and they have an author's booth. So if you're an author, um, they've got a little bookstore set up, and you would sit at this table. And it's a great, as a speaker, it's a great rest area because you're walking around all day long, and your back's killing you, and your feet are sore, and your legs are throbbing. So it's nice to sit down. And I sat down with Tom Rosenbauer, hmm. and uh, who's with Orvis. And um, he, you know, and I'd had, I'd, filmed a couple of television shows with Tom and got to know him and you know it was good to see a friend and just catch up and he talked about that community and then he just says to me he says you know what Phil we need to do a Stillwater book and I think you'd be the guy to do it so well at first it's weird because I I actually grew up in not a very uh big fishing family even though they're all from Hunter Mile my whole family's range from there they're farmers and cowboys and stuff but um it was definitely that that guy, my friend's dad, I was talking about earlier, who uh, took me on my first trip there in Hunter Mile. He uh, definitely a big influencer. We we're getting in trouble lots, and just you know, just being a little punk, not worried about life and school and stuff. And I really think fly fishing, when he got me into that, it kind of changed my life from that point. I kind of slowed down and yeah, feel like I focused on things. Maybe the time on the water let me think about things and my future and everything and I really feel like from that that time on was a big step in my life right there. What would you say Nicole to somebody that is sitting on an idea sitting on something they want to do and think they're good at but aren't so sure like where do you get that confidence to just hit the the full send? Damn man I didn't know I had it I, I swear it was from other people and somebody just a friend of mine just gave me a book that I read last week about that very thing um, and not getting in your own way and yeah. one of the parts from the book was about the thing that's bothering you the most or you're putting off the most is the thing you should be doing absolutely phenomenal there's absolutely no argument from me what about Tommy but... Lee Tommy Lee, excellent showman, excellent showman. Oh. Um, you know, um, he he really knows how how to be present behind the kit, and he's and you know he's a good drummer. He's got his licks and stuff, I, I but it's not something something Al. like uh, I I would go along with uh, with uh, with uh, somebody like uh, Carmen Apiece or Vinny Apiece. Those okay. are those guys are really good technical drummers. How about Alex Van um, Halen? awesome awesome outside the box outside the box totally driving doing things all the time hmm. and, and another another one of those guys that's master of the song absolute slammer he never yeah. play he very rarely plays the tip of the stick on the ride he's just smashing her what does it do for me yeah you must there's a reason it's, that it's, you it's, chase all it's, these it's kind of hard because i do everything so i can fly fish like i do this job so that i can fly fish I, uh, I think, I think it, 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 it's more the, um, it's more of a way of life than that, than for me, than I, uh, most of the stuff that I do towards the end is to go fishing. I only met Peter a handful of times. It was always at the, the Corbett Lake Country Inn, which yeah. for, for those of you that don't know, in the interior of BC, there's a lake called Corbett Lake. And Peter ran a kind of a lodge, and he was a chef and a rod builder, and he had all these amazing stories. He was a British guy. Um, I, I'd like to dig into that a little bit because the guy always made me laugh whenever I went in there. Yeah. He was a straight yeah. shooter. Yeah. Tell, tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Peter is 
you know, he, he's a one of a kind guy. I met a lot of people in my lifetime, but I've only only one Peter McVeigh because the storytelling that he and his memory for this kind of stuff. Eh? Yeah. You know, I remember people's names and stuff like that. He was really, really good at it. But, you know, I got I got to do the I did. I, I did. I've done two two editions of the Peter McVeigh book. And because Pete was involved in in the bamboo rod building, the Corbett Lake Bamboo Rod Building Association, and when they formed it, uh, oh, uh, in 2008, it was the 30 years. Uh, they made it every two years. So it was 30 years ago from, uh, so it would be 1988, I guess, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, it, uh, it was John Boxstrom and Don Anderson. Uh, Boxstrom was a totem fly fisher, and Anderson came out of Alberta. And then we were at a, a British Columbia Federation of Fly Fishers. We used to have our AGM and dinner thing at Pete's Lodge there. Right. And these two guys were talking about bamboo rods. And it was a dying craft at that time because fiberglass and graphite were coming in and sure. uh, the people. Anyway, they, they thought, well, maybe maybe we should uh, try and organize a gathering uh, of the, the existing bamboo rod builders and share information, okay, on how to do this to try and keep the craft alive. And, of course, this was happening uh, the at Peter, at, at Pete, and Pete built bamboo rods too. So they approached Peter and said, "What do you think about having a meeting, okay, with like-minded uh, bamboo rod builders?" So that started that uh, that bamboo rod building group, and it came, you know every two years they would meet, uh, you know, mostly at Corbett, okay, but it got it got to be too big, and then they moved it up in, into Kamloops, where they're having it now. Now, being that you're you're an artist uh, in more ways than one, whether it's tattoo artist or whether it's uh, at the Vice, I want you to paint us a picture. So this is your perfect day, Joshua. You're heading out tomorrow. Um, what does it look like? What kind of you know? What species are you chasing? What are you throwing? Is there something uh, warm to drink in the morning? Cool to drink at night? Walk us through that. Well, I'll probably wake up being that it's getting warm here. I'll probably wake up probably about 4 o'clock in the morning, do me a French press blonde rose coffee. Wow, specific. With a, half, with a little bit of half and half, not too much. Yeah. And then uh, probably gather up all the rods, put them in the rod locker, get all my tippet, tippet line together, get my drift dry bag together, my drift boots. And my corkers, and yeah, I usually just load up the truck, and I'm usually on the water about 5:30. Hmm. Just trying to beat that heat. 5:30. Yeah, I got to beat that heat, and then uh, usually, uh, usually it's sunrise, sunrise, the sundown is usually the best time. Yeah. So usually I'll stay out till about 10:30 when it starts to get too warm and the uh, top water starts to dissipate because. Let's just say I'm a topwater junkie when it comes to uh, fishing, period. You have to consider about when we stock uh, triploided fish that they they do grow slower for the first at least two years than a diploid fish. Um, and so uh, they, their first two years are a little slower growth rates, and then they then they can catch up. And then when when the diploid fish is now turning their uh, energy towards the development of eggs and milt, the triploid fish are just putting on body fat, so they they ca- they catch up and um, and uh, can attain those tremendous double digit sizes that we that we see 
in, in the most productive lights. But in the lake, I would, I would be creating, I'd be very careful on the numbers of, of fish I'm putting in. You, you, you have to remember that triplet fish live longer and um, you don't want to uh, overstock the lake and, and graze down the food source too far because it takes a long time for those populations of invertebrates to come back after being grazed down too far by fish. I would say probably a lot of my partners always say, get ready for a day of pulling that anchor. So, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like to sit around one spot and, you know, the, the, the late Malcolm Ruddick, um, I always remember he brought a story from a few people and they always say, you know, he'd be fishing somewhere for about 10 or 15 minutes. And he goes, we're going, we're leaving, we're out of here. Right. And they're like, well, what? And he's like, I don't feel it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I like to move around a lot. I like to really move, move, and, yeah. and try different things. You know, try angles. Um, you know, Ken Woodward and I once were were uh, were fishing a comp, and uh, we were partners together, and um, we were fishing type seven with a gonfish, and we found out the fish were sitting on the drop off, and but you had to cast the drop off and let it go down and pull it back out off the drop off to get the fish. Where if we went onto the onto the drop off, like onto the shallow, and cast it down and brought it up, they wouldn't take it. That's so, that's little things like that. But I know, and using yeah. the same pattern, we wouldn't get a fish. You know, casting, letting it go down, coming up. It had to be out casting to and to drop, going down, and then bringing it off down deep. For the most part, uh, it's 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 a combination of those three. However. Lately, um, on my own, because I have my own pond with with trout in it too. Um, what? Hold, 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 hold on. Let's back this up. You have your own pond. When I tell you that I am obsessed with this stuff, I actually I have a half acre pond that I raise wow. trout in. You're killing me, man. That's my my dream. Yeah. So what do you got? I in go there? to great lengths to make sure that my my trout are happy, fat, and healthy, and and that they love dry flies. Do you feel guilty catching them? A little bit. Um. Maybe after the fourth or fifth time. <laughs> you know, how, how, what I'm do you very in conscious there? about weather, about my weather, about um, the water temperature, about all these. You know, like I, they, they inevitably are with the goal intention of harvest, but uh, to harvest them. But I don't, I don't harvest them unless somebody else. Like I have friends who who will eat fish, well my fish, and and I can offer them the. This is my way to get them hooked on fly fishing. Essentially, so like Absolutely. my pond is is barbless fly only. <laughs> really? So I yes. Like I like so it. and and I make that rule up. So so basically, like if anybody wants a, to bring a fat trout home to eat, um, they can come and I teach them some basics, and then that kind of gets it's an incentivizing thing to get them to try to go out with me. So from the wild is a show that I'm involved with, just strictly as on air talent. Um, my friend Kevin owns and owns the show and, and does a great job with that show. And I think we're in our eighth season. So I've been involved with it from the beginning as far as just, you know, doing hunting and fishing stuff on screen. Mm -hmm. But lately that's evolved into doing more uh, camera work while I'm on location. You know, I remember my dad, I was whatever, 18, 20 or something like that. Dad asked if I wanted to farm and I was like, gosh, no, like no way. I was so done with farming. It was such a chore. And no, not interested. And then went, uh, you know, off to the big city and 
did my thing and was working in ivory towers and wearing expensive suits and you know got married and had kids and then all of a sudden it just sort of crept up on me like what am i doing like you know i just missed farming so much so mm. all the years under your belt of uh you know walking and wading and fly fishing these streams in in colorado and rivers and, and beyond what would be um a piece of advice you'd give somebody to kind of up their game. So, you know, as a guide, you probably see a lot of people, um, you know, hit the stream with you. You're like, well, there's probably a common theme. How can the average person get better? You know, I really think it comes down to present the ability to put the flies within the vicinity that you're, that you're trying to hit, whether you're using an indicator or throwing a streamer or, dry drop and whatever, the ability to hit close. And then the drift portion, and this is where most people struggle. Most people run their flies entirely too fast. What's your go-to in the world of fishing craft? I really, really love um, the pontoon boat. I love a, a, a nine-foot um kind of a flat bottom pontoon boat it's it doesn't have the rise or they're not like i used to develop pontoon boats with water skeeters so i was on a de- design team with them when they made all these boats so wow. uh the, yeah one of them was called the river tamer that we did and it, it had very high wide uh pontoon boats that had a really uh rocker system to them yeah that's so the one i had that's the one i had yeah so they're made specifically for the river they're really crappy on the lake because they just they you they get, get blown all over the place yeah amen yeah so I, I i designed this other one that was 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 for both river and lakes and it's got a little bit more of a flat bottom on it uh it started off as being called the fish cat which was before outcast had the fish cat what's the best gig you've had so far well, I've got to say there's two of them. Um, my the, my business, the fine cast agencies that I did, was probably the most self-fulfilling uh, and the most challenging because uh, it was all mine. That was me going up there, figuring things out, and banging on doors. And you know, this was before the internet and all that stuff. You had to, you know, call and make an appointment, and go see somebody. Uh, and that was really exciting. That and that was that was a great job for me. Um, I think on the other side, though, with you know being in the luxury menswear business as well, uh, probably uh, my time spent as um, running the Hugo Boss store in Holt Renfrew, I think, because I ran into so many celebrities. It was still really good money considering how old I was, and then. I got my Cassie level one and two and worked on the mountains for years. Um, I got into teaching snowboarding. I was a snowboard instructor for years um, and then volunteered and worked as a snowboard instructor and trainer for VAS, which still exists. They're um, Vancouver Adaptive Snow Sports. So they work with anyone and everyone who requires um, that extra help with um, adaptive equipment in order to get people on the hill. So people mm. in wheelchairs, they're snowboarding. People with, wow. you know, people with no limbs, they're snowboarding or skiing. So there's right. 
amazing stuff being developed out of Colorado that's been adapted for Vancouver here. Uh, Whistler Wasp is their program up there. They got great stuff. So, cool. yeah, I was really lucky. I, it's, I, I feel privileged to say that I haven't really had, like, a crap job. <laughs> you, you seem like you got a lot going on over there. Like, I, I'm, I'm curious. In, in the, okay, let me throw this at you, Kat. What's sure. what's the end game with fly fishing for you? Like, is it, you know, it seems like it's a big part of your life. It seems like outdoor sports in general is a big part of your life. But what what is the end game with fly fishing? Do you want do you want to maybe guide in retirement? Do you want to, uh, you know, talk to me about that? Um, I don't really have an end game with fly fishing. I don't think it exists for me. Like, I know. Uh, I want to fly fish and continue to enjoy it because it's a huge passion of mine. I'm at a point where fly fishing for me is intricately intertwined with my wellness. Like I need, Ooh, I need to I be like that. I like yeah, that. Like, That's I need well that to be, yeah. Like I need that to be a part of who I am, what I do um, more so for myself than anything else. Um there, I will, I, I will guaranteed, Mark, I will spend a lifetime l- continuing to learn how to fish. Yeah, it's kind of a, a long-winded um, answer, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's why we're here, man. <laughs> I, got, I got time. <laughs> All right. All right, sweet. Uh, yeah, so it, it all stems back to my, my grandfather. Like, that's what I did as a kid, right? Um, and then, really, when I went through the Marine Corps, you know, I did two tours overseas. Um, you know, when you get out, you know, you train all five years to learn how to get ready to do your mission, but you only get like one week to really transition out of the Marine Corps. Uh, so it's not enough time to tell you how to just try to figure out who you are outside of like a strong identified military organization. Um, for a while, I just felt like I kind of lost myself. Um, and then, you know, in my first two years at Clemson and the computer science program, they just really try to weed you out. So I just had no time for anything but school, it felt like. And then uh, my senior year or junior year, going into senior year, um, we got the uh, Trump stimulus check. And um, my wife and I, we bought two bon- or we bought two uh, Perception Pescador kayaks just to get into it. And once I got back in the kayak and got on the water, um, it was just able to help me out through so, much, like, so many tough questions that I had getting out of the military. And it's really been, you know, the biggest healer in my life for me personally. Um, and then, you know, I graduated from Clemson and I worked at the top sexiest software companies. You know, I worked at Amazon doing um, cloud consulting where I was a machine learning expert. Um, I worked with the Clemson football team doing artificial intelligence research. And then my last job, I was at a startup uh, just to try to go, you know, full spectrum software engineer. Um so, you know, I was working at the startup and before I, my, you know, before I started working there, the interview, Brett asked me, he was like, Hey, what's your dream job like? And I told him, like, Hey, if I, if I can find a way to, to get paid to go fishing, I want to do that. You know, like that's always the dream. And Wiley Mike used to have this guy, Norm Albison. He was a professor somewhere in Utah. And it was absolutely fascinating to listen to this guy talk trout fishing. He was so analytical. And he had this great mathematical reason why you should always order medium pizza versus large. I'll never forget that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's funny. And then I realized when you've got a microphone at a show, it kind of takes away the inhibitions. You can just walk up to anybody and start talking to them and asking them questions. Yeah, it's true. 
we used to walk around with a laptop and a microphone cord before I got a handheld for those shows. Mm-hmm. What are you using now for all your interviews? Are you, I mean, most of them, I, I assume you're doing most of them from home right now with everything, but yeah, basement office. I have the MacBook plugged into the modem. So I don't have any Wi-Fi issues. And then an ATR USB mic plugged directly into the MacBook. Right. And then my producer gave me a nice little microphone stand when I stopped by his house a couple years ago. Cool. So you actually His neighborhood have, is where they make keys. So you candy. actually have somebody produce your show. You don't necessarily produce it yourself all the time. Oh, I, I sent it to Jason, and he does all, the, all that. He <laughs> emailed me once out of the blue. He's like, hey, man, I'm this fly fishing dude in Pennsylvania. I love music. I'm into audio. And I think we could make your podcast sound a lot better. Why don't you send me the files and I'll clean them up? And he did all of that. And now we go fishing all the time. We save my daughter's hand-me-downs for his daughter. He and his wife adopted three kids. Mm-hmm. And there's two boys and a girl. So we give all of our hand-me-downs to her. And yeah, I wish Jason and I had more time to fish together. We're going to do some some fishing this winter. I don't think we're going to get trout fishing or steelhead, but we'll do something. And then he comes down here every once in a while before he had kids. We go shad fishing. I got a picture of him in the Washington Post last year. We're chatting with Rob Snow White out of uh, the D.C. metro area, Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. I, this is kind of a weird question, but I'm really curious. What's your least favorite thing about podcasting, if you had to pick one? Sometimes when I, I edit for content, so I do the content versus quality and art says um every three words <laughs> we all have those crutches though right right there are definitely some vocal crutches out there oh yeah I've got for me lots. sometimes it's just it's trying to get some of the old timers on there's some people that are like a podcast what's that and then you're like skype and they're like sunny can you ring me on my klondike 555 number <laughs> that just don't understand it or people that are into it and then they just ghost you yeah, that happened. That happens. Uh, well, it used to happen to me more, but yeah, I, I don't get that either. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm up for it. I'm up for it. I think I think people that haven't done a lot of podcasts get nervous too. Do you find that? Yeah, uh, I've had a couple of people that apparently are not public speakers. Right. Just don't like being a public. I'm like, I can just you know, if they're local, I'm like, I'll just drive to your house and we'll just talk with a microphone just sitting on the desk. Well, that's just like a it. regular conversation. Can you talk on the telephone or Skype? It's like a regular conversation. There's really nothing. And I, I get, you know, you get kind of the anticipation of the call and that. But once you cut five, ten minutes into the conversation, you forget what you're even doing. Right. Hmm. And then I've had people say, I don't do podcasts. And then three weeks later, they're on a podcast. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, no, same. And I'm trying to give these people free global advertisement to them and the companies and products that support them. Why wouldn't you want that opportunity? Hey, if I could, I would go on 100,000 podcasts related to anything because that's the that's probably the best way to get listeners. Yeah, one of my buddies, Tim, out of Chicago, I was supposed to go on his friend's podcast at the beginning of this. They were going to talk about me and my weird job and weird things I see. And I was like, we could do hours. And I don't know what happened to that. Hmm. I know you like to ask that question. What's the weirdest thing you've seen on the water? Or not even on the water. What's? I see some weird stuff all the time. Yeah. We saw a squirrel swim across 
once. Today we had a monarch butterfly hatch with only four legs hmm. in our front yard. I see, I think it's just, I'm more observant. I will see all sorts of just bizarre things, especially when I'm out and about. Maybe it's just where we are, but we'll see. Like I saw a naked woman under an overpass going to get Gatorade a couple <laughs> years ago. Okay. Uh, my goodness. The stuff we find is just crazy too. Yeah, I bet. Just from where I live. Um, well, you'll be walking down to the river and there'll be somebody passed out in the kudzu. Do you know what kudzu is? No. It's a Japanese vine that grows and blankets everything in the South and nothing eats it. It's like an edible pea flower you can eat, but this stuff just covers everything. Oh. And you'll be walking out and you'll just see some drunk dude just shirtless with no shoes and his pants like hanging on, just sleeping. And they'll ask how, how many fish we caught and if we're going to eat them tonight. And then you talk to them and then they just close their eyes and go back to sleep. <laughs> we encounter this, there's weird like people in the woods that'll just come up to us and start talking. It's, it's never a dull day when I'm out on the water. If yeah. it's not for the cool nature, it's just some of the weird things that we encounter. You're putting a lot of data out there. So, you know, you're going to be paying monthly and you got to find, maybe talk about that a little bit. What was that process like coming to find Libsyn or coming to find the right host for your for your show? Yeah, it, it was super easy for me. And this just goes back to why Rob, I love the guy. And it's funny in the episode, you know, I call him, I call him a little bit snarky, but once you, once you get past the snarky, this snarky thing, you realize that he just wants you to succeed. And that's what's amazing. But so what happened was I was self-hosting on my, I didn't even know either, right? Same thing. I was self-hosting on my website and my entire website went down one day. Hmm. And I was like, what? Because I started the podcast. And that's the thing about podcasting is you can't self-host because there's just too much data coming through and your your actual website host, which was, um, I don't use them anymore, but um, MailChimp, or not MailChimp, um, um, HostGator, right? I've switched yep. from HostGator. I have an actual I use Flywheel now, which is way, definitely recommend Flywheel. But um, they went down, man, and and I reached out to Rob. I think so, I found Rob. I was like, dude, Rob, I'm struggling here. And he said, okay, here's what you need to do. And I signed up that day to Lipson. And ever since then, you know, it's been great service. Um, they, they've got a great a resource. They have a podcast, The Feed, which is which is I listen to is a good one. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's the story there. That's something I want to ask you. Um, fly fishing aside, or maybe not, what do you listen to when you're listening? Because I know you're a podcast junkie, as am I. Oh, yeah. as am I. Uh, I got a 45-minute-plus commute each way yep. every day, and I so I'm always looking for that hour-long podcast to kind of kill the time. What's your go-tos in podcasts? What would you recommend people listen to? All right, I'm going to pull it up right now. I love this, this one because I'm just going to show you my episodes right now in the queue. So here you go. I'm just going to give you the top. And some of these, actually, I should probably delete because I haven't listened to all of them. But um, I'll just give you the top, some of them here. So just the newest ones. I've got um, the Marketing School. <laughs> so I have a lot of marketing podcasts, right? That's Neil Patel. If you haven't heard of Neil Patel, he's kind of, I think, maybe he's not perfect for everyone, but he's probably the biggest SEO guru. Um, as I'm looking, this is booting up The Daily, right? The New York Times podcast. They do a, you know their show. I've got... Um, haven't listened to this lately, but I got the Daily Show. Um, mm -hmm. I've got Side Hustle School. I've got How I Built This, Fresh Air. Um, I've got a couple of other marketing podcasts because I'm connecting with other new new kind of marketing podcasters. I've got, um, you know, 
uh, NPR politics. I've got uh, Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, there's not a lot of fly fishing podcasts in there, right? Yeah. Uh, I got the, uh, because, you know, I do have the fly fishing insider podcast that just popped up, but that's because I think like you, I don't listen to a lot of, um, fly fishing podcasts because I try to let my show kind of be to do its own thing to be unique um i'm not sure where i heard that but somebody mentioned that to me and you i think you're on the same track so so that's a little bit of what i what i'm listening to it's probably a lot of uh i also do audiobooks so that's one thing i try to mix it up if i if i ever get burned out on the podcast which you know happens sometimes i go to audiobooks Mm -hmm. and um, i'll just give you i'll just give you one book this is a good one uh, this is a new book I've been listening to, and I don't listen. I usually listen to more more self help, uh, self help. But Station Eleven. If you want to hear, we're in this COVID thing right now. If you want to read a good book, an audio book about what we're in right now, and this is actually the collapse of civilization and that whole thing. Uh, I've been listening to Station Eleven, which is a crazy book. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I I, yeah. I can't get enough of podcasts. I like This American Life is one I I listen to a lot. Oh yeah, they always have the production level is just. Well, it's next level, but yeah, there's, it's, there's so many, the thing I love about podcasts that I never, ever have been able to capture before is you can, let's say you're into fly fishing. Not only can you find out about fly fishing, you can find out about fly fishing, the Deschutes River for steelhead in August with it. You know what I mean? You can really hone it. I've got an episode. I've got two, I've got two, (laughs) I've got one episode where the guy tells the top five tips to catch summer steelhead on the Deschutes in the daytime. Like, <laughs> if Right? Yeah. And if you search that right now, you'll find that. If you search for that, you'll find that podcast. So he started pounding on my chest, and all of a sudden, there was a flash of light. I was back inside my body, and I wasn't on the river anymore, obviously. I was lying on the dining room table of the lodge. Hmm. And I wakened up, and he said, okay, his name, as I said, his name was Tim King. He said, "You're gonna. I think you're gonna be all right, Lonnie. But you have to keep breathing. You know, you're you're a mess. Your face has been crushed. You're bleeding. Your you know your eyes half ripped out of its socket. And you you've got to you've got to do this. You have to hang on to this." I said, "Okay, Tim, I will." God damn it! <laughs> I'm not ready to die, baby. It ain't my time. So I lay there and lay there, and he worked on me, gave me artificial, you know, resuscitation and stuff. But then they put blankets on me to keep me warm because I was just shivering. And then the lodge owner gets on the telephone, and she calls in to the shuttle service that brings people in and out of Silver Elton. Mm-hmm. They said, and the guy's name I'll never forget is Tom Brooks, helicopter pilot. She said, Tom, we have a problem. There's been an airplane crash. There are three clients dead in the river, and we have Lonnie Waller on the dining room table, and he's going to die if we don't get him into town. So he hopped on the the helicopter. They came out, put me on a stretcher, and flew me into Smithers. And there I was in an intensive care unit. And I could watch my, they put me on an EKG, you know, for your heart. Yeah. And I could watch it going blip, 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 you know, it registers your heartbeat, you know. And all of a sudden, it would stop and they, it would go, my heart would go flat. They call it flatline. Right. There would be no, there, I was flatlining and the, and the nurse would say, Lonnie, Lonnie. I said, don't worry, 
baby, I, said, I can fix this. And I told my heart, God damn it, you start beating again. I don't want to die. I got a wife I want to go back to, and I don't want to die here in intensive care in Smithers, British Columbia. Wow. And boy, all of a sudden, my heart would start beating again. And that went on for most of the night. My heart would stop. I'd tell it to start beating. My heart would stop. I'd tell it to start beating. And finally, it calmed down. And uh, when the nurses saw me, they said, my God, they thought my body was black as, as, as ink. And they said, my God, what happened to you? Were you in a fire? I said, no, there was no fire. And they said, my God, this is, I think they call them hematomes. I don't know what yeah. they call them. Sure. You're black. Yep. You're, as bl you're as black as a black crayon. So I stayed that way. And then Bob Wickwire came in as soon as I was awake. And uh, he he was crying, didn't know what in the hell to do. No one did. But I just hung on. I think I was in Smithers for four or five days. And then I was well enough to put into a, a, a an air vac, I think they call it. They put me in a small, my wife came up sat with me in the plane and they flew me back to California where they started the surgery. So my face was crushed. So they had to make, made me new cheekbones out of titanium, each cheekbone that I've got, still got it. Hmm. They're, they're fake. They're titanium. <laughs> I have an artificial, I have an artificial lens in my right eye. Right. You know, so, and I just, I said, well, that's it. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna die. And if I got an artificial lens and artificial cheekbones and two screws in my head, I don't give a damn. <laughs> I'm alive, baby. <laughs> well, that you know what? <laughs> that is an amazing story, and I. Uh, it was it was fascinating to me to hear it. I mean, I'm I'm so sorry you lost. I know you lost a couple of good friends in that, and obviously yeah. a pilot. But that's a true. That is a true survival story, and. Uh, it's never give up. I, I actually find, Lonnie, I find uh, near-death experiences very fascinating. I've heard a few stories along the lines uh -huh. of what you just said, and they all seem to have a lot of commonalities. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got a copy of my near-death experience that I gave to the Unitarian Church down here in San Miguel, and I think I've still got it. And if I do, I can, say, I can email it to you. Yeah, I, I, I'm very interested in that. So, hey, yeah, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. We're chatting with Lonnie Waller, steelhead expert. He's uh, based out of San Miguel de la... I hope I say this right. San Miguel de la Lende? Yeah, de, yeah, de Allende. De Allende. Uh, yes, de Allende. Lonnie is author, fly fisher, traveled all over the globe uh, with a fly rod, inducted into the Fly Fishing Hall of Fame in 97, has... Uh, Lots of books and DVDs on steelhead, primarily steelhead. Lonnie, would you say that steelhead is your is your passion? Yes, yeah, it's my number one passion. Steelhead, especially the the wild steelhead up in the Skeena River system, they're just incredible fish. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Skeena has some of the biggest steelhead in the world. They in the old days, I don't know about it anymore, but in the old days. The steelhead on the Babine River averaged 15 pounds, wow. and they would go, you know, I've caught two fish in the 30-pound class. A style that they may not be used to. A lot of people that come up have never fly fished before, so it's really neat to see that. 
Um, but I think the biggest overall lesson with all that is just that uh, it's kind of a sport that's meant to be shared and kind of, you know, you know, to speak kind of generically, it's almost like, you know, to or, you know, kind of sentimentally, um, you know, something that's it's nice to pass along and pass down. And I'm really starting to enjoy that that uh, as I grow in the sport. Yeah. Amen to that. I think, you know, that that to me is kind of the maturation of a fly fisher in general. Like you start out, you're all in, you just want to fish, 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 fish. But when you start seeing it through other people's eyes and you start wanting to help other people and you just said something there that when you take a step back, that is really hard for somebody to do. That's just all you got fish on the brain. You just want to get that line wet. And it's just, sometimes you just got to kind of sit back and that is not easy. Yep. <laughs> Especially when the clients are like, Hey, uh, jump out here and show us how it's done. It's like, ah, oh, nah. I mean, the last thing you want to do is catch a, <laughs> a fish in front of someone and, and, you know, surely they say they like it, but then, you know, I'm sure in the back of their head, they're kind of a little perturbed, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I really enjoy that, you know, just kind of watching people, you know, watching their faces kind of light up and, uh, you know, and, you know, share memories. Cause Alaska is kind of one of those places where I'm sure a lot of, you know, much like British Columbia, where when people come to visit, it's to me, it's like, gosh, it might be the first time they've ever been there or the last time they'll ever be there or the only time they'll ever be there. Um, so I really take that into consideration every time I'm out on the water. Naive in thinking that we can fit this story into a, a one hour <laughs> podcast. It's like, walk us through your entire life and how you got to where you're at. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, kudos to both of you, though, because you're living your best life. And for me, you can't go wrong when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. So true. Talk about fly fishing and what that brings to both your lives. Like, so when you're spending your time on the water, what what do you get out of that? For me, the hugest part of it is that I think for a lot of people and a lot of women, actually, you know, when you're on your computer and you have like 50 different tabs open on your internet browser, <laughs> I feel like a lot of women and a lot of people go through life with 257 tabs open in their brain at all times. And it takes very singular moments to shut down those tabs so that you can focus and be present and be aware of just this moment, not what just happened, not yesterday, not in your childhood, not tomorrow, not later in life. It's just this moment right here. It's this drift. It's this cast. It's this take. You know what I mean? So for me, that was that was actually really huge for my mental health. Um, I was distracting myself with a lot of things. And to be able to close those tabs and come back to this moment right here, how am I actually feeling? What am I actually thinking right now? That was huge for me. That was pivotal, I think. And fly fishing then. It's got a lot of passionate people in and around it. What what brings you to to a certain wine over any other? Well, it's interesting because to me, wine is uh, an enormous pleasure, but it is a more sedate pleasure than fishing. Um, there is no tug. There is no instantaneous bang. Now, you can open a great bottle of wine and think, wow, this is really delicious. But ultimately, to my mind, there's a big difference because if you open a really good bottle of wine, the first thing you do is look around at the faces of all the people you're with mm. and see if they're getting the same amount of enjoyment. It's, wine is one of those things that's really better if it's shared. Fishing, 
it's almost better. The way I love to fish, I would rather fish for an entire day, catch one fish and not see anybody else than fish amid 50 other anglers on the side of a river, river catching fish every 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, to me, that solitude, that being out in nature is an important part of the fishing experience. And so it's almost a counterbalance to the wine. Wine actually, I think, gets better with more people. Fishing gets better with fewer people. But, if, you know, in those days, it was just, you know, I was just fortunate that I'd, I was there, right place, right time. And, um, you know, it, 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 it did up my game somewhat. We're chatting today with Kim Tribe from South Wales. Uh, he's with uh, flyfishingwales.com since 2004, professional full-time fishing guide and coach. Talk about the coaching, because I know you and I have had some conversations before where we recorded this, and I, you really piqued my interest when you talked about kind of mentoring and coaching people. What does that bring, and, and, and walk us through that process of your uh, business. Right, well, basically... Um... How do, I I started I I sort of I sort of fell into guiding so to speak. Um, there aren't there weren't there aren't particularly guides in the UK fly fishing guides. They were always casting instructors, right? Um, and they were gillies. You know, a ghillie was normally attached to an estate or a hotel, and he was normally a salmon ghillie, but Trout, grayling, and even saltwater guides, there was no such thing. Well, not, not strictly true. They, they weren't, it wasn't really as, established as such. Um, so I would like to think I was one of the first sort of full-time guys, certainly in Wales, um, doing, doing this. Um, because I went to work for a, an environmental charity that was doing environmental work, but opening up on the back of it, they were opening up fishing. Um, so if they did environmental work on a farm, they would then look to sell the fishing on a day ticket basis. Mm-hmm. Um, or they went on, um, you know, some salmon beats that were um, originally very expensive bits of water to fish for salmon and dead man's shoes type of thing. Because the salmon fishing was going down, and they weren't getting the revenue from it. They would sell tickets to fish for trout and grayling. Um, and on the back of that, I was working as the river keeper part time. But they asked me, um, you know, would I look after guests who came along to fish these different waters? Or somebody would ask them, do they have a, a ghillie? Well, no, they have a guide who will, I suppose, it's a similar type of thing, but will I had the benefit I could move around different waters and pick different waters for different individuals. So, and a lot of these people came to me. I mean, you know, I would have people never picked up a fly rod in their life before. You know, I've taught kids from six and seven years old to to guys of eighty four just starting off in this game and just about everything in between. Hmm. But um, yeah, it would be. I would find that they would that they would come maybe from a still water background and they they could cast, but maybe they'd never fished a river before. They wouldn't know about uh, reading water or watercraft or 
you know, um, weights and nymphs to fish in and how to fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, they, they just would be totally, you know, excuse the pun, but out of their depth. So, you know, I, I, my, I ended up, I found that I ended up, because as you can probably gather, I talk quite a bit, right? Um, <laughs> I, right, okay. I love and it. I tell people when, I, when I'm coaching them, tell me to shut up if you just want to fish, right? Okay. But I, I critique, if I think I, somebody can, I can get, I can improve their game. I can up their game. Sure. I will say so, you know? Yeah. Um, and I will, you know, and it's a running commentary sometimes. And I say to them, look, I'm sick of hearing my voice. If you're sick of hearing my voice, just tell me and I'll shut up, you know? But if, if you, and they turn around to me a long time and they say, no, I want this. This is what, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming to you for is, is to learn and to improve my game and to learn different methods. He absolutely slayed it on it. Good stuff. Hey, I'm going to fire some fast questions at you because I got a little inside knowledge here. And you, these are just, these are just oh boy. straight ahead. Oh, no. You're, no prep. You're eh? in for it now. Off the I don't, coffee. I say. don't believe in prep. Dry fly or wet fly? Wet fly. Favorite boat right now? Spratly. Favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? Mm, ooh, that's tough. On, well, it's usually... Uh, Ooh, you got me there. Next. <laughs> Come on. You got more than that. I, I know. I'm like family feud. Come okay. back to it. Shannon Sharp or Terrell Davis? Terrell Davis. Favorite crony pattern? Um, time out. I'm actually wearing a Broncos jersey right now. <laughs> FYI. And it's, it's my number seven, and you know it well. <laughs> but I'm wearing it right now because it happened to be up at the cabin here that I'm like, I have more than that. That's, Carry that on. Sounds like fly time gear. Um, sounds like beer drinking. Favorite go to fly fishing meal? Is that camping yeah. or prior? You're camping. You're, you got your tent trailer and and there's no pavement for miles. Uh, a bolognese, spaghetti bolognese. Ah, giddy up. With garlic. And milk. what's the beverage? Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> just, just checking all right <laughs> love it hey so we talked a little bit about how you got into fly fishing one thing i want to ask you is who who have you been influenced by you, you did mention maybe watching a little sport fishing on the fly programs like that growing up oh definitely yeah yeah it was um it certainly wasn't the eastern shows catching bass mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it wasn't the boys back there it was oh it was definitely like sports fishing on the fly and and uh yeah mark pennington what was it what was his yeah, program there that uh, was, well, sport uh, fish he's, he's a local sport boy fish in bc i think yeah sports fish in bc i mean remember that episode when he was on on our one of our local waters there pay lake down south and he had that episode cat uh mayfly hatch and he was literally covered in them did, did yeah, you ever see that I did. one mark it was ridiculous yeah the fish were slurping those things up like crazy. I mean, he couldn't have picked a better day for the show. He probably, probably was one of the five, I guess. But it was amazing. Yeah, no, that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a good show. Um, yeah. Anybody else I mean, come to mind? Brian Chan was Brian Chan. That Brian Chan was, uh, and Phil Rowley had those programs on as well. Mm-hmm. They were uh, like spots, I think, on some program. 
Yeah. So that's that, that's what it was. I mean, that's because of course that was before the internet was popular as it was as it is now. Right. You couldn't you couldn't couldn't research that stuff, or I didn't, anyways. Yeah. I just sort of clicked the channel on, right? Nowadays, you can go online and wow, the information you can find online is unbelievable. Well, you're not you're the number one guy I know for as we call Intel. So, uh, you know, you're working your cell phone, you're working, you're working your trap lines as far as, uh, who's fishing where, who's using what, how deep, what color, you know what I mean? Like y- you research harder than anybody I know. And I think, I think that's gotta, gotta help on the water. Well, it definitely does. And you know what? And, and to get help on the water, you got help on the water. It's, it goes both ways. So you have you got your mm-hmm. yeah you got your trap line you got your buddies in different cities and, and everybody's traveling fishing uh, as I do myself probably fish fifty days a summer and and I'm happy to to tell everybody what's happening and uh, of course I've taken guys there the next day and it's not what happened the day before so uh, it's not like you're giving away the world because you never know in this game that we play but um, yeah. Communication's great. Yeah, it, it works well for I, everybody. Well, generally, talking about communication, I know a lot of times you'll hit a lake with a buddy or a friend, and you'll get out there with the the radios and actually kind of do a little discovery. Yeah, you know that's that's the way to do it with uh, with your buddy or with a couple of buddies because some of these lakes, you know, they're big and uh, you gotta explore. So uh, yeah, I do like to carry radios and. Uh, I'll radio my buddy if I find a patch fish that I can get working on and, and vice versa. Actually, like, stringing up a fly rod and going to a river has really, I've deliberately really put it on a, on the back burner to all the other things that go along with, you know, you know, having a family and having young kids and stuff like that. And so instead of, like, fishing much, I'm, you know, playing with boys, chasing them around soccer fields, you know, doing stuff with them as much as I can. And then still, you know, earning a paycheck. Um, so I don't fish as much as I would used to or as much as I will, I know, down the road. Um, but So when I do fish, getting back to your question about reading, so when I do fish, like, it's like time focus, like, let's go and let's fish. It's not, not, a, not a lot of downtime to, you know, to sort of read or take long lunches. I often think about that, though. Think about, I mean, I know you can't put out fires forever, and, and firefighters at some point retire. You, It looks to me like you've got a lot of career ahead of you with the split cane and your fishing and tying and everything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the perspective of, you know, of, of anyone as you're going through life. You're recognizing, like, where am I at now? Where am I going to be? And, um, you know, I look down the road, like I said, I'm 43. Like I look down the road, like even 10 years. And I think like, man, my kids are going to be gone out of the house. Most likely, you know, like I'll probably be starting to wind down from working for the fire department. Like I'll have all this time. And I think to myself, like I'll fish, I'll fish a lot more then, um, Mm -hmm. or ride a lot more then. So, um, and that's not, that's not postponing, you know, that's not me just like putting something off you know, being lazy. That's just more like me, like telling myself, like there'll be time for that later. Right now. I want to, I mean, I want to be all in on being a dad. 
you know. Social media. Everyone's looking for the holy grail. Everyone's looking for that content. Um, and sometimes, like you say, you got to remove yourself from that. So, you know what? I'm just going to put the camera away for half an hour and enjoy the sunset. Totally. Totally. And that's usually when, like, you know, something insane happens and you go, oh, fuck, I wish I had my camera out right now. But um, <laughs> Exactly. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and that's I've been doing that a lot lately, especially with the kids, because uh, I don't know. It's just it is nice. Like, and then you can take a break from from the pressure of getting that shot. You know, I've seen so many people catch this like beautiful steelhead and, you know, they're fighting it. And then they're like, get the camera, get the camera, get the camera. And it's like, no, just like enjoy the sound of wine peeling off the reel and watch the fish jump with your own eyes, not, you know, behind a, a lens. And just, you know, it's, it's, it's a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I've set up on, uh, I do a lot of crony fishing in, in the interior of BC, so we're doing a lot of still waters. But I'm watching that indicator with my camera, just wanting it to go down. <laughs> it never yeah. goes down. The second, yeah, yeah, the second yeah. you turn it off, Guess what? Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah, and a unicorn flies by at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Listen, I, I let's talk about what you're doing now. So I know you've kind of done a bit of uh, switching gears. I, I've been checking out all things Captain Quinn, your website. Um, tell us what you're up to there. Uh, well, right now I've been taking like a, a bit of time off. I just kind of look after the kids some more. When my wife works, but... Um, I did finish a, a documentary kind of on um, the Skeena uh, region, Salmon and Steelhead, uh, kind of more of the social situation behind it. Um, and uh, so that was good. That was that took me about a year to do, and um, that can, that's coming out. I'm going to put it on my YouTube channel on August 30th, so this month. I'm excited for that. And then... Just kind of brainstorming. I want to get back into it. I kind of burnt out a little bit, but um, we're, I'm excited to start creating some more content. And I, I took a we took a lot on this year. Like we had a, ki- a kid last year, and I was working on my master's degree, which I just finished like three weeks ago. What's that and, in Quinn? Masters in what? Uh, it was a governance and entrepreneurship in northern uh, and rural areas. So it was looking at kind of different models for um economic development in the kind of Canada has a history of just creating these resource dependent towns and then when the resource dries up you know there's all kinds of social problems for the people living in that area mm-hmm. um, so it's just kind of looking at kind of new innovative approaches to uh, economic development and um, governance and kind of rural and northern uh, Canada. Right. And I got to go to northern Norway uh, as part of the, one of the field studies for the program, which was really cool, and northern Saskatchewan, um, and kind of see how they're doing things up there. Uh, and it's it was very interesting and, um, yeah, pretty inspirational as well. Did you chase any Atlantic salmon in Norway? I No, it wasn't the season, but it made me really want to go back uh, they got a kind of a, from what I understand, a, a small window uh, to, I mean, most fisheries, migration, migrating fish do kind of fall into the same category. Um, but I think it was like, I want to say, I can't even remember the two months that you go do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's spring and summer. 
Okay. I could be wrong. I know they have a coastal uh, sea trout, they call them, which looks like fun. Yeah. One of my buddies out there who we stay in touch, um, he sent me a couple flies that he uses to catch these sea run brown trout. I think they are. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't get to. I dreamed of it. You have t- you been out there? No, I haven't. I had somebody on from Sweden uh, who fishes, you know, that that region for, and like you said, sea. I think they're sea run browns. They have a lot of, but um, some of those salmon get mighty big. And the way he verbalized it, Quinn is, if you catch one in a season, you're doing well. So yeah, you, okay. you know, it's not exactly, uh, you know, like like say the Skeena used to be back in the day. You, you touched on something, Quinn, I, I'd like to explore a little bit, if you don't mind. And you'd mentioned burnout. And I I know what you mean, but I, 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 I'm curious how you keep it fresh. Do you have to just walk away from it for a while to kind of look at it through new eyes? Or like, explain, explain to me how you keep it fresh with what's going on in your world. Yeah, I think a break. A break is always invigorating and then it it kind of some time to reflect and it makes you kind of appreciate the process more, but it's like everything, you know, in, in, in life, it's, if you like, we're just also, I think, um, a lot of our time and energy is consumed, uh, just by having a phone on you where you can like, you basically have these computers in your pocket and you feel this pressure to respond to every single text message or, facebook or instagram or email or phone call and then you have you know your jobs and your bills and your family and i just think that you're we're as a you know society we're we're just taxed like in terms of our energy it's our we're um we're running in a deficit most days so it's really easy to get burnt out uh and Mm -hmm. i think when i do that like i just I kind of just have to like turn everything off and just not think about anything for a while. Yeah. And then the important stuff starts trickling back into your brain and then you start getting excited again. When you're not on the water and you're in around, uh, you know, your home, home area of Paul's, Paul's Bo, mm-hmm. Washington, where do you go to talk fly fishing? Like, is there a fly shop, a coffee shop, a, a local pub, uh, you know, a brew pub, somewhere you go to get your fix when you're not in your waiters? Yeah, you know, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have a lot of friends uh, between here and Danbury Island and Fallsbo and Silverdale and kind of the area, and um, most of us will go to just a one or two little, two little bars. Uh, one was the Kraken over here in Fallsbo. Uh, it's like the the Kraken. It's the name of our new hockey team, even. Uh, so we've got the we've got the Kraken uh, pub, and then uh, we've got a nice little pub on the island. Uh, the Harbor pub. And, um, I have some friends and, uh, clients that, you know, we just run into each other there kind of a lot. Um, and, and, you know, some of these guys, they've, they've fished that, uh, Kola Peninsula and up in Russia and, you know, the Kamchatka and, uh, they've fished and traveled more than I have. So, uh, it's always fun to meet up with those guys. Uh, it's even more fun when I'm somewhere else, like when it used to be the Thompson when it was open. <laughs> we'd meet up there just by accident. I'm like, damn, I see you everywhere. <laughs> you used to fish. You used to fish the Thompson River. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, yeah, not was... far from where I'm at, and I've fished it for steelhead a few times. Not with a lot of luck, mind you, but uh, man, there, there used to be some big fish in there. Yeah, I, my uh, one of my guides that works for me, Eric, 
Leninger, Leninger, he is uh, out of Portland, but he's got a picture of like, I, it looks like it's 22, 24, just a big, beautiful, you know, buck. Uh, yeah. Uh, just. I, I saw yeah. a fish come out of the water standing in that river just outside of Spencer's Bridge one time that I've. I still dream about that fish, and uh, <laughs> it's just kind of laughing at me. I'm, I'm, you know, as I said a little bit earlier, part of what I do is functional art, so it's steel furniture and sculpture, drawings, paintings, the whole bit. But this, the furniture was a big part of my business as a company for many years. So I went from, um, you know, a TIG welder, where I'm, I'm wearing leather gloves, leather jacket, you know, welding helmet, and it's noisy. And um, I'm wearing a, a helmet with a respirator on it so I don't breathe these toxic fumes. And then I'm grinding and spraying and finishing and all this stuff. And I'm doing that one minute. And then the next minute, I'm sitting in front of a fly tying vise with jeweler's loops on. And, um, you know, the, my problem I'm having is my hands are too rough from working. And I'm fraying silk floss or rayon floss. And it, it, it's <laughs> quiet. And it's, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was the, it was the polar opposite of, of, you know, 220 volts of electricity and noise. And, you know, again, the music was out there in that studio. So in order to, to hear above the welder with the helmet on, I'm cranking this and, and I'm, I'm done, you know, when I'm done welding, my ears are ringing, ringing like mad. And, and then juxtapose that with, you know, the quietness and the serenity and the, 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 the planning and the move. It was a fascinating time to, Right. to to change focus creative but um you know that that's how the, the the creative part of it um started the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com thank you for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast your feedback matters let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed email us at mark at flyfishing97.com until next time, tight lines, and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.